Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. It's from Acts 17, 1 through 9, um, and it reads as this. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbaths days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and raise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, um, but not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rebel, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Okay, now shuffle through First, first Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. Uh, it reads as this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and the Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want to start with the, the question uh, that, that we'll use as a way into the passage, which, which is this, to, to put it to you this way, uh, have you ever felt, perhaps you have felt or currently feel, uh, like the Christian faith, your experience of the Christian faith was or is uh, ever incompatible with the world you live in, right? Or the spaces in which you operate and function in life, does it ever feel like, or perhaps it has felt like, uh, to, to profess faith in Jesus and then follow on from that profession puts you at odds or, or is in some way incompatible with uh, your world? I, I wonder, is that an experience you have had? I've chatted with many of you over the years of our life as a church, um, and, uh, uh, and and you guys have shared with me in a number of ways in which perhaps you felt this, this tension, where uh, you try to live your Christian faith in a context that is either indifferent, sometimes just indifferent to these values, or uh, at, at best, or at worst, is, is hostile, even opposed to... Uh, your conviction and the convictions which arise from your faith in Jesus. Some of you have shared, perhaps it's been like grad school scenarios where for you uh, to allow your pursuit of Jesus to shape how you think through and understand pressing cultural questions or, or things like that puts you at odds with other people in the conversation. Or maybe it's a work environment. Your pursuit of career has, has landed you in a, in a place where you're in a work environment that values your output uh, above everything else. So at the expense of whatever else you may value, particularly your Christian values and what it says to you about faith and community and hospitality and all those things, the, the pressure to perform in those contexts sort of 
trumps all of those things and it puts you at odds. Uh, why, why wouldn't you step on that colleague to achieve recognition and, and, and move up in the company? Why on earth wouldn't you pursue the assumed career track of advancement in your field? How, or why would you have another set of priorities? Maybe it's your workspaces uh, or uh, other sort of civic spaces you're in where the priorities of culture and the values of the culture around you, maybe the work culture, don't align with the convictions of your faith. And, and you wrestle through, what does it mean for me to be a Christian here in this context? There, there are broader expressions of this, too. We, we could sort of zoom way out um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know, maybe the tension of like a two-party political system in, in, in which sort of each platform wants to lay claim to Christian uh, convictions, various Christian convictions, and, and sort of make the move that allegiance to the platform sort of trumps allegiance to, to Jesus. What does it mean to, to allow your convictions of following Jesus to shape how you engage in, in that sphere? Or I also wondered maybe, again, just real broadly, like just a sort of maybe an online culture or, or uh, maybe a news cycle culture that thrives on fear, that sort of commerce is in, in, in transactions of fear. What does it mean for your Christian faith to function there? I think these are all places of tension, and you could probably, if you were, if I were to give you a moment to sort of come up with your own list, you could come up with a list of places where maybe you feel explicitly or implicitly this, this tension in your life. And, and I want to suggest that as we step into Thessalonians, it's going to help us in that conversation. We're going to try, we're going to attempt a, an answer to questions like, is it possible for you to live the Christian faith, for the Christian faith to survive and thrive in a world that's indifferent and sometimes opposed? What does a faith like that look like in your individual spaces of home, work, play, all of those spheres? And, and then what, what does a church look like? What, 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 what is the church like? What kind of church is it that fosters and sustains that kind of vision, that sends people like you and me out into all these spheres in a way that we can live the Christian faith with conviction? Maybe, you know, those questions, you sort of like set them aside. Maybe they raise feelings of guilt or perhaps frustration. But I, I want to suggest to you that these are tensions and questions that have been around for a long time. Um, it's actually been a part of the conversation of the Christian faith from the beginning. For 2,000 years, uh, Christians have, have had to figure out how to live this faith in cultures that don't think the same we could go to any number of historical examples. I referenced recently, I uh, just finished a little book called Bullies and Saints, and uh, the Australian historian and a bit of a theologian is sort of telling the story of the church, honestly, that it's, it's, a, it's a checkered history of, of, of bullies and of saints, and, and sort of asking the question, is there any merit uh, here? And he goes to places you would assume, right, places where sort of our response to how should the church engage culture, what should it look like, you know, the obvious negative examples like the Crusades. Right, an obvious attempt to sort of dominate, force the Christian hand. But, but then he goes to sort of positive examples like uh, Gregory of Nyssa, who, who speaking 1,500 years before Frederick Douglass, speaks out because of his Christian faith against slavery. Right, shaped by the values that, that uh, he has found in following Jesus, he speaks into the culture he lives in, but in a way that uh, lands differently. 
So, so this morning, that's like where we start. And I think 1 Thessalonians, it's just an introduction and the background in Acts, give us some context for how you guys, me, we can live as a Christian community uh, in a world that is indifferent uh, at times and opposed uh, at, at others. It helps us, I think, sort of find our footing uh, in that space. And we begin by sort of going back to the, to, the, to the origin. Acts, which we read in Acts chapter 17, gives us the origin of the community that Paul writes to in 1 Thessalonians, which is why we read it. We'll start with just, we want to consider what Christian faith looks like in context. Like in, in this case, in Thessalonica, in this place. And we get just a bit of that story in Acts, this church, we, 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 we learn a bit. Paul is on his missionary journeys, and he lands on the Greek island of Thessalonica and does what was his custom, Clint read for us. He visits the synagogue, speaks to the people, the Jewish community, out of the roots of which the Christian faith has, has grown from which it's grown, speaks to them, shares with them, does what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch a few chapters back in Acts, shares with them the scriptures. These are the scriptures that talk about Jesus, and specifically, he's the Messiah, and, and he would suffer, right? It makes that observation in Acts 17 that the content of his message in Thessalonica is not just that Jesus is Lord, but that he would suffer. Uh, again, a point that, that the Ethiopian eunuch heard from Philip as he opened Isaiah. So Paul, as was his custom, shares, and we're told that many believed, Greek-speaking Jews believed, leading women in the city believed. We're told that, that, that the community was born around this conviction, Acts 17.4. But then in the following verse, we're also told that there was conflict, that, that there, there, there were some Jews in the community who were jealous of sort of the movement that was happening. We read in verse 5, so they, they took some wicked men from the rabble of the city and they formed a mob and they set the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. It's, it's an interesting moment. It's sort of, again, it's a brief history, right? We don't get sort of the full-fledged, like, oh, what is the, you know, all those kinds of things. We picked up some historical context, but, but we do get a, a, a drawn into the sort of central tension of what this new community was facing. What did it mean for them to live uh, as followers of Jesus in their context? And we're told that for them, that tension was bubbled up to the surface here. They live in the world where Caesar is king. They, they, they live in the world where Caesar is king, but they claim to serve another one. Right, so that's, that's the tension. They live in a world where Caesar and his gods, Caesar as God, right? Then in all that he would sort of uh, put to the world, this is sort of the water in which you uh, s swim. And yet these people claim there is a, another king. And I think in this moment, we, we bump into the tension that maybe you feel in your own faith. What happens when the Christian faith isn't compatible with the spaces you, you inhabit, the places you live? When you live in a world where Caesar is Lord, but you say and profess there's another king, Jesus. And not only, again, the, the sort of 
absurdity of the claim, not only is there another king, but that king, the Lord Jesus, has suffered. Died, didn't come in power, didn't come sort of dominating, came to serve, and he himself has suffered. Not just suffered, but died, and, and God's sort of supreme act of vindication has been raised. No doubt, in a world run by Caesar, this is news that would turn things on their head and upside down. Grace, turns out, I think always does that. Always. Right? Caesar is Lord and the gods that he served. And, and you bring your gifts to them. You bring your sacrifices. You live by his decrees. But now in Jesus, we find another king. And in this instance, everything is turned upside down. Jesus brings the gift. God himself makes the, the sacrifice. Turn the world upside down, and it still does. Our modern-day gods may have changed, but they still exact their tolls. Yet in the midst of all of that, we say, well, I, actually, we come every week, we sing about it, we talk about it, we meet in groups about it. Well, I, I, actually, there's another king, Jesus. It's in Thessalonica, in its context, faith in this moment was subversive. It was disruptive politically, religiously. Caesar was the head of the political state. He was the head of the religious, imperial, sort of cult, all of these things. And yet, uh, in the midst of, of, of all of these priorities, this, this group of Christians who had experienced the hospitality of Jason to hear the message of Paul and have reoriented their lives around a different proclamation. Jesus is king. So this, this was the tension of that community. This, this is the context in which they heard the announcement that Jesus is Lord. In the midst of all the decrees of Caesar, in the context of, of all of that, they have now pledged allegiance to another king, Jesus. And to this community of people, a young, new in its faith community of people facing resistance and persecution, Paul writes a letter. One of the first, actually, uh, scholars believe this letter, one of the first he wrote. So it's like we've been sitting with Acts in the beginning of the church. It's like now we hear one of these first communities now being sort of instructed and encouraged by Paul in its early days. Paul writes to them, and it's a letter that brims over with gratitude. We heard it this morning. In, in all of our prayers, he says, we give thanks to God for you. We'll see in the coming weeks. He will strengthen and encourage and instruct them. But today, I think, we, we just hear a snippet of the beginning. And in this moment, we're invited, I think, into sort of the other side of that phrase. If we've been thinking about the context of this letter, today we, in this moment, now we think about what, what Christ, Christian faith looks like in that context and in yours and, and mine. What does the gospel, not, not just what does the sort of setting of Thessalonica look like, but what does the gospel in that setting, the good news of Jesus look like there? And it's Again, perhaps not surprising. Paul goes to three virtues that he will go to again and again and again throughout his writings in the New Testament. They'll feature prominently in some of his other writings, but they are themes to which he will return again and again. And he says it in, in verse 3. We're, we're always thanking God for you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, faith, faith, love, and, and hope, themes, virtues that Paul will revisit again 
And again, but here, I want us to consider why he names them. As he thinks about this community of people trying to sort of make sense of Jesus in their context, what he uh, praises and prays, uh, gives gratitude for, is that they're a community of people in which these virtues are finding expression. He's full of gratitude that faith and love and hope are uh, present in their community together. That, that, that this, this is a community of Christ followers, and, and they are marked by the virtues of their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of, of, of hope. I, I just want to say them over and over again. Uh, faith, love, and hope. I want you to say them with me. Can you do that? Faith, love, and hope. Yeah, he switches the order. In other places, we always think like faith, hope, love. You know, it's this beautiful, it's, you know, it, it, it's beautiful, but uh, it's, it's more than beautiful. Right, Paul is saying here that faith, love, and hope will mark the community where Jesus is Lord. There'll be all sorts of descriptions of communities where Caesar is Lord, but where Jesus is Lord, what will mark that community will be faith, hope. I did, I did it backwards. Faith, love, and, and hope. And we'll see as the letter unfolds that as those virtues find expression in the community, Paul will encourage that out of that, that they'll begin to lead lives that are holy, that, that reflect God and his character, and also lives that are full of hope in, in, in a world that is sometimes indifferent and sometimes opposed. I just want us to think about faith, love, and hope for a moment. I, I, again, they're recurring virtues. Paul spends a lot of time with them. But the way he talks about them here. It does a couple of things for me as we read them. Number one, I think, sort of primarily, it, it pushes against our tendency to make them sort of inner qualities, right? Virtues that uh, are sort of merely inner virtues that we possess, some state which we achieve by like I, I, I uh, sort of hold within or I reach this place where these virtues are a part of, of my life, kind of merely inward in that sense. Paul seems to suggest here that they are productive, they're outward, they're expressed within community, right? They're not just, you know, and they're beautiful as this, but they're more to this sort of cross-stitch sort of pillow themes, right? It's beautiful for them to be framed and, and, and expressed in this way, but, but Paul says they're, they're more than that. They are concrete labors, works within the community, in some sense even necessary in a community facing persecution and threat, young and fledgling. Will it survive in the world where Caesar is Lord? What will this community be like? Will it survive? Paul says uh, the virtues that will, that will uh, work in that space, faith, love, hope. I, I want to suggest to you this morning that um, in offering us this sort of framework. Paul, Paul takes a really sort of gospel, good news of Jesus approach to something that we tend to approach in a lot of other ways. That when we bump up against sort of a tension between our faith and the world, our common practice on the one hand is just to assimilate everything uncritically. We just, we just take it all in. God is love. And there's just like a wholesale acceptance of, of whatever sort of comes downstream from Caesar. And uh, that is sort of one way we typically approach uh, this tension in our lives. Another way is to dominate, like the examples from Bullies and Saints, where we want to force from the top down, culturally or personally, the Christian faith into these spheres. Or perhaps at times we, we withdraw. We just, we just disengage from 
the world we, we live in and become sort of our own subculture. Paul, I, I think in the way he frames these virtues, he, he offers us, and you and me, an, another way into that conversation. He, he, he uh, sort of, by, by highlighting faith and love and hope, he, he suggests that as Christ followers, as a community of Christ followers, you're, how you are in the world, uh, when shaped by these virtues, it, it works differently. He says it's a work, a, la- a work of, of faith. This, um, some have written to describe what this moment is like. This is not a work of the law, like, well, if you just believe enough or you have the sort of in the sense that you earn God's favor by this work of faith. It's, it's rather a kind of you bring your mind and your will into, the, uh, into line with the good news of Jesus, the work of faith, so that as things come downstream from Caesar, you, you take all of them into uh, uh, conversation with Jesus And in that work of faith, based on the good news of Jesus, you then respond to the world around you. It's not a wholesale assimilation. We'll just take whatever culture gives. God is love. It's tempting. It's easy. God is those things. But here, Paul says, there's a labor of a work of faith where you you live your life thinking critically and theologically and, 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 and rooting your life in the faith of Jesus and out of that putting everything else under that authority and responding. And then he says it's a labor of love. And this is, you know, too fast. But a a labor of love, the the work of love within the community. We we don't have to scratch too deep below the surface to bump into love and in the story of God and the world and in Jesus specifically. He talked about love for one another, that his disciples would be marked by a love for one another. This is how the world would know they were his, right? This is how the world would know Jesus was their Lord and not Caesar, by their love for one another. But not just their love for one another, their love for neighbors, Jesus would talk about. Their love for enemies, Jesus would talk about. All of these things would characterize not only what Jesus taught, but but the, the, the pattern of his life. It wouldn't just be the content of his message. It would be the very sort of nature of his life as he lays it down in in death, in in, in love. Refusing, again, to dominate, to respond to culture forcefully, to, to sort of aggressively attack the things in his world that would have been hostile to the message he brought. Instead, in love, he he responds. He doesn't dominate, he doesn't move with the power that Caesar would have approved of and recognized, okay, maybe there's something here. No, in obedience even to death, he sacrifices a work of love. But then finally, a steadfastness of hope, Paul says. Again, in a culture where the cycle is so often rooted in fear and responding out of fear, even in Paul's day, in the context of Caesar's rule and early church history, all kinds of reasons for fear, yet... Repeatedly, the theme of hope bubbles up. A community resonant with hope, Paul says. Right, that resists the tendency to withdraw, that there is no hope here in this place or sphere, and to pull back and to disengage from the world around us. There's none of that here. Paul says you live your Christian faith in all of those contexts, rooted in the hope of Jesus. It, it will shape the rest of the letter. We'll hit it concretely next week. But specifically, this hope for them is rooted in Jesus' return. Not that he would withdraw from the world, but that he would come to it, redeem and renew it. 
These things for Paul shape the community of people who follow Jesus. And he, he anchors it. So he gives thanks for these virtues. And he anchors it with, with this phrase, all of these things, a work of love, a faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope. Who anchors all of that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, that Jesus, Jesus didn't assimilate and just take everything the world threw at him, but in the midst of all of that, he continued to, to express faith in the Father and, and to give expression to the Father's faithfulness in the world. He spoke as one with authority, said, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. So he, he, he responded critically, thought about the world, and, and, and it revealed how those things were aligned or misaligned with who God was and his character and his intentions. He himself gave expression to that. He didn't assimilate. Neither did he dominate, but he came in love, laying down his life. And he didn't withdraw either. He didn't sort of stay removed, but out of faith in the Father and love for his people, he came and became obedient even to death and, 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 and brought the steadfast hope of resurrection. Of, of life that could bloom and flourish and blossom even in the midst of suffering and sin and brokenness and ultimately death. I was, uh, we're, we're going to close with communion. You can come on up here. And um, I, I was in a, uh, I meet sort of periodically with a group of pastors around Overland Park. And uh, there's all different kinds of churches and we'll have lunch and, and pray together. It's, it's a good time, different ages. It's, it's, it's been uh, just a, a meaningful time uh, to engage. And we talk about and they bring people in from the city, sort of civic spaces the church can be engaged in. But um, in our time together this week, the gentleman next to me, we, we had gone around. There's probably 15 people and everyone had shared and we were praying for things and um, uh, praying for all kinds of things, right? Like things in the city, things in the world, uh, personal sort of things, spaces and, uh, and privately, you know, things that um, <laughs> we needed God to, to work in. And, and people have been praying, and it, the guy next to me was, had been designated to, he would close our time together in prayer. And it didn't happen like that, but I don't know why that's how I took it in. But he just, he had been appointed to close our time together in prayer. And uh, he, he started in and said something that was really interesting to me. Uh, he, he said, uh, I don't remember exactly, but he took all the, he's like, you know, God, all these things we prayed. He said, all of them matter because Jesus, you're coming back. It's your return. That gives weight, right? That, that gives hope to prayers for healing. That gives weight to prayers for uh, people we love who are far from God and his grace. That gives weight to the, the world we pray for in need of redemption and renewal. That, that Jesus, you are coming back. Our faith and love and hope are rooted in what you have done. You're coming back. And in being rooted in what you have done, Jesus, you make us more than we could ever be on our own. You work faith and love and hope in ways we could never manufacture on our own. This is Paul's prayer of gratitude for the Thessalonians and for you. I was reminded, uh, Frederick Buchner, who uh, writes at times beautifully about the Christian faith, um, has written, rather. Uh, this is how he describes the kingdom of God, he says. Again, the place where Jesus is king and Lord, not Caesar. The community where Jesus is king. The kingdom of God is, is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. 
We glimpse it at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. We catch sight of it at, 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 uh, when at some moments of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. The kingdom of God, the place where Jesus is king, is home. And whether we realize it or not, I think we are all homesick for it. How, how do we live the Christian faith in all the places we are, in all the things we carry, all the pressures we feel, the places in which the effects of Caesar and the world sort of weigh upon us? How do we live the Christian faith in all of these places of incompatibility? I, I think we keep coming home. We keep coming home. We keep returning home again and again to the place where Jesus Christ is Lord, the place where his faith and love and hope work in us and, and for us and out of that work extend beyond us, beyond anything we bring to the table on our own. And so change us. Changing our own faith, love, and hope into something more beautiful we could, than we could ever create on our own, which we can share with one another and the world around us. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.